Welcome to the Hunt, Kill, Cook podcast. My name is Andre, one of your hosts, and in this episode, we're going to be sharing some of the best free hunting books that we could find, followed by a short synopsis and review of each one. As always, part of the ethos of this podcast is to share compelling stories from hunting history, and this episode is no different. Thank you so much for listening to the Hunt, Kill, Cook podcast, and enjoy the show. One Christmas, I was to be at the ranch, and I made up my mind that I would try to get a good buck for our Christmas dinner, for I had not had much time to hunt that fall, and Christmas was almost upon us before we started to lay into our stock of winter meat. So I arranged with one of the cowboys to make an all-day's hunt through some rugged hills on one side of the river where we knew there were blacktail. We were up soon after three o'clock when it was yet dark as midnight. We had a long day's work before us, so we ate a substantial breakfast, then put on our fur caps, coats, and mittens, and walked into the cold night. The air was still, but it was biting weather. We pulled our caps down over our ears as we walked towards the rough, low stable where the two hunting ponies had been put overnight. In a few minutes, we were jogging along in our country. There was a powder of snow over the ground, and this and the brilliant starlight enabled us to see our way without difficulty. The frozen river was hard, and the hoofs of the horses rang on the ice as they crossed. For a while, we followed the wagon road, and then struck off onto a cattle trail which led into a long coulee. After a while, this faded out, and we began to work our way along the divide, not without caution, for in broken countries it is hard to take a horse during darkness. Indeed, we found that we had left a little too early, for there was hardly a glimmer of dawn when we reached our proposed hunting grounds. We left the horses in a sheltered nook where there was an abundance of grass and strode off on foot, numb after the ride. The dawn brightened rapidly, and there was almost light enough for shooting when we reached our spur, overlooking a large basin around whose edges were several wooded coolies. Here we sat down to wait and watch. We did not have to wait long, for just as the sun was coming up, on our right-hand side we caught a glimpse of something moving at the mouth of one of the little ravines some hundreds yards distant. Another glance showed us that it was a deer feeding, while another behind was walking leisurely in our direction. There was no time to be lost, and sliding back over the crest, we trotted off around a spur until we were in line with the quarry. Then we walked rapidly towards them. Our only fear was lest they should move into some position where they would see us, and this fear was justified. While still 100 yards from the mouth of the coulee in which we had seen the feeding deer, the second one, which had all the time been walking slowly in our direction, came out on a ridge to one side of the course. It saw us at once and halted short. It was only a spike buck, but there was no time to lose, for we needed meat. And in another moment, it would have gone off, giving the alarm to its companion. So I dropped on one knee, fired just as it turned. From the jump it gave, I was sure it was a hit, but it disappeared over the hill. At the same time, the big buck, its companion, dashed out of the coulee in front across the basin. It was broadside to me, and not more than 100 yards distant, but a running deer is a difficult thing to hit. And I took two shots, both missed. It disappeared behind another spur. This looked pretty bad, and I felt rather blue as I climbed up to look at the trail of the spike. I was cheered to find blood, and there was a good deal of snow here, and it was easy to follow it. Nor was it long before we saw the buck moving forward slowly, evidently very sick. We did not disturb him, but watched him until he turned down a short ravine a quarter of a mile off. He did not come out. We sat down and waited nearly half an hour to give him time to get stiff. When we reached the valley, one went down on each side as to be sure to get him when he jumped up. 
Our caution was needless, however, for we failed to start him, and on hunting through some of the patches of brush, we found him stretched out already dead. This was satisfactory, but still was not the big buck, and we started out again after dressing and hanging up the deer. For many hours, we saw nothing and had swung around within a couple miles of the horses before we sat down behind a screen of stunted cedars for a last look. After attentively scanning every patch of brush in sight, we were about to go on when the attention of both of us was caught at the same moment by seeing a big buck deliberately get up, turn around, and lie down again in the grove of small, leafless trees lying opposite to us on the hillside with a southern exposure. He had evidently very nearly finished his day's rest, but was not quite ready to go out to feed, and his restlessness cost him his life. As now we knew just where he was, the work was easy. We marked a place on the hilltop a little above and one side of him and the cowboy remained to watch him. I drew back and walked leisurely around where I could get a shot. Then nearly up to the crest, I crawled into view of the patch of brush, rested my elbows on the ground and gently tapped two stones together. The buck rose nimbly to his feet and at 70 yards afforded me a standing shot, which I could not fail to turn to good account. A winter day is short and twilight had come before we had packed both bucks out on horses. But with our game behind our saddles, we did not feel either fatigue or hunger or cold. While the horses trotted steadily homeward, the moon was a few days old and it gave us light until we reached the tops of the bluff by the river and saw across the frozen stream the gleam from the firelit windows of the ranch house. That is an excerpt from Good Hunting by Theodore Roosevelt. What's going on, guys? Michael here, and today we're coming to you from Chateau de la Michael. We're at, we're at my home. Uh, we're at my house recording this podcast today. Uh, this here is my guitar collection, and uh, this here is I'm Andre. Glad to be here. Yeah, dude, how you been? I'm great. Dude. I'm great. This is cool. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, it, it's nice to be able to just like sit down at the end of the day and then just like in the evening record a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, um, dude, uh, so we are one week in to bow hunting season in Ohio. What's uh, What's been week one for you? like? Week one has been good. We had a sweet cold front come in. We did. It's been just hot, hot, hot. Yes, it has been. And then uh, that cold front came through and we got out and uh, did a little hunting. Um, one, we were separate, and then the other one, uh, we were together, and uh, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, I was up in the tree in the saddle. I was trying to get some good footage of you. I was hoping we had a setup where uh, some deer were going to come up a trail from the south and then cut right in front of us about 10 yards if they were going to come in at all, and it turns out they didn't, but it was a pretty good morning. But uh, what did happen was that I uh, I put my foot through a hole in the ground, and I fell on my butt. You <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. great. I wish I would have got that on camera because I was <laughs> I was up there just enjoying the morning and then I hear <coughs> and I looked down and you had rolled over and I was yep. like, oh no, I hope he didn't hurt himself. Or, no, no, I was fine. I think at some point it was it was so dark that I was already on the ground. I was kind of rolled over. I figured I'd take a nap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
just lay it out. Yeah, I figured if there was a, if there was something coming by, you'd probably wake me up. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You'd hear me. It's good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, so far, my season has been pretty good. Uh, on the day that we went separately, separate, I uh, I had an encounter with uh, with a young like a yearling doe, and uh, and she came up like all excited, jumping from the right side of uh, where I was sitting, and um, and she just like stopped her jumping right in front of my shooting lane, and she stares at me. It's like, huh. You don't belong there. <laughs> and before I could even grow, I could even get in position to shoot, she takes off. Um, busted. Busted. Um, so that was that was pretty close to like the end of the night. It was pretty. It was like getting dark, and uh, as it get darker, I see this huge mature doe come out of the come out of the woods, and about. 200 uh, yards out starts like moving around i was like come on baby come on come back come back come back finally she makes it back about 140 yards out and um and lays beds down in the middle of a field that has been already picked through like there's nothing there and she just decides to lay down and it's dark and uh, and i guess this is a great this is a great thing to plug in like if it's the end of the night and you're in a situation like this the worst what's the worst thing that could happen like you get busted that, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. But what if you didn't get busted? So that was my take. So I decided to start inching my way into in the middle of an open field <laughs> to see how close I can Bold. get to this thing. Yeah. And look, I, I ranged her. She was about 140 yards out by the time I started making my way out. And I made it about 80 yards uh, out from where she was laying. And then she's, she you know picked her head up. She saw me and got up, started walking off. And, um, and then I, I, I started like moving a little bit more and then she took off. Um, but that was, you know, the night there was, a, there was no more, uh, shooting light any, you know, so I figure I, I take my chances. If I could get it within 50 yards, I would have shot. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that. Um, especially as a novice hunter, I mean, mm-hmm. this is your second season, yep. second full season. And, um, you know, the, you have limited encounters with deer and being able to, figure out what you can and can't get away with. And sometimes that means, hey, I'm going to get up and they're likely going to see me. How much can I move? How low to the ground do I need to be? And you're just figuring things out. That's right. And so when you take chances, uh, it could work out. I mean, stranger things have happened. That's right. It's a calculated risk, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that's worth taking, especially as a new hunter, just to get out, see what you can get away with. Absolutely. So, um, dude, uh, tell me what you have prepared for us today. I know that you've done a ton of research into this. We just heard an awesome story about Teddy Russell, which I, I, I have thoughts about it be beyond the story. So yeah, we'll um, get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. But uh, t- tell me what else you have prepared for us today. Sure. So we have three great capital letters, free hunting books. Ooh, yes. tell me more. So these books are under public domain. Okay. And they are excellent. Now, Finding public domain books in general, there's there's a lot of great resources for them, uh, but hunting books specifically, that's where you get into trouble. It's I mean they're they're out there, but there's a lot of yahoos that wrote a lot of books, and these are some pretty solid books that I've gone through and and try to, you know, make it the short list for you all. And so uh, on our website in the show notes, I'll have a, a link to these where you can uh, we can get them sent directly to your email, and then you'll have the books zipped up to you in PDF form. Uh, so go check out the show notes. For this episode. Um, so three books. One, we just heard the excerpt from Good Hunting by Theodore Roosevelt, which was written in 19, was published in 1907. It doesn't get much better than that. Theodore Roosevelt was. The yeah. man. What an elite president to have. I, I mean, come on. We got like political stuff aside, left, right, 
they're all basically whitewashed politicians That's at this right. point. They don't have personalities. They don't have hobbies. Uh, can you name like a, a significant hobby of the last three presidents? Besides I think, lying? I think Biden likes uh, ice cream. Biden likes ice cream. Okay. I know that much. All right. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's got that going for him. Uh, but Theodore Roosevelt was a man's man. That's right. And he was out there hunting and obviously he, all the stuff that he did with the uh, the national parks mm-hmm. systems and, and preservation. He was really a big into um, into that. And so we, I mean, we really have a lot to owe to him. There's a reason why his face is on Mount Rushmore. That's right, because he uh, commissioned it himself. So, I mean, yeah. if you're going to put uh, the faces of the president, it's just fair to say I want Abraham Lincoln, I want uh, George Washington, I want Thomas Jefferson, and I want myself. I want myself. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man's man. He, I mean, he can't, had it going You on. can't even be mad. Yeah, so this book is uh, Good Hunting, and so uh, this is more of an entertaining book. Um, it was generally written for the younger population. And so he has some nuggets of information, wisdom that he passes on uh, through ranching. He thinks is a very, very uh, good business at the time to get into. But a lot of people want to get into ranching for um, for the money or they don't want to sit at a desk job or whatever. And so he kind of separates boys and men. And then right. he has advice for each of them, warnings and advice in the latter end of the book. But the beginning of the book is just a bunch of stories of him going out and, uh, and, and hunting. And it's, it's really, really interesting, really well written. Um, one of my other favorites, he talks about the Wapiti. Do you know what a Wapiti is? I don't know what a Wapiti is. Wapiti, according to Theodore Roosevelt, is the proper name for an elk. Ooh. Is that, uh, is that a, the Native American name for an I d- elk? I don't know. Uh, he didn't go into that, into the story, where the origins of the name come from, but he he says Wapiti, and it's regrettable that the common name is just elk. For whatever reason, he took a shine to it. Uh, interesting fact here. So there is no word for elk. If you're listening or watching this, correct me, but there is no word for elk in Spanish. Really? There is no word for elk. I, I I was stumped by this. I even called my mother and I said, uh, <laughs> and I said, Mom, like I don't know how to describe this animal to you. And I, and I showed her a picture and she said, Oh, that is an alce. And I said, No, Mom, because an alce is a moose. And she said, It's the same thing. And I said, It's not the it's same not. thing. Yeah. So yeah, fun fact. The more you know, right? No, no word for elk in Spanish. The more you know. Yeah, I had no idea. That's. That's something else. Yeah. I, as being a fluent Spanish speaker uh, myself, yes, uh, you think I would have known that, but native I, Mexican. I'm a, na- <laughs> I'm a former. You are a yeah. Mexican. Yeah, not a Mexican. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So uh, good hunting. Yeah, and so he goes in and he talks about the wapiti or the elk, uh, deer hunting bear and timber wolves. Uh, it's it's really really interesting. Now he's not a bow hunter, and so a lot of this is with a rifle right. and from ponies uh, or horseback, uh, which is Pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, but it's just this is a great read. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a backstory to this, which I'll get into a little bit more once we get into the review of the story that you just read. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, the man. He's the man. So moving on, we now have the Still Hunter by Theodore Van Dyke, which was published in 1883. Now this is a free book, but I paid for the hard copy. I've got a a, a um, paperback okay. at, the, at the house. I should have brought it, um, but. This is a great book. Now, not everything in it is is gold. There are some antiquated things, like the technique of cowbelling. Oh, this is where that came from. All yes. right, you guys need to listen to this. Okay, no, you know, you know what? Download the free book. Amuse yeah. yourself. Andre wanted to try cowbelling at some point, but yeah. Uh, yeah. 
it just uh, it doesn't work in our in our society. No, this is uh, now. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I'll, I think, we'll I think give it worked. The benefit of the doubt. Maybe I think it, it worked back work. then. Yeah. I think it did. So yeah, definitely download the book. Check it out. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, other techniques like running deer down to tire them. This wow. this was something you you actually still probably could do this out west and like BLM land, not out here uh, east of the Mississippi. Definitely right. not. There's no chance that you're running a white-tailed deer down right. <laughs> and just to tire it out. Um, and if you have, please let me know because I really, really want to you're, you're an interesting person if, yeah. if you've done this. Yeah. In, anywhere in, in the America, but specifically in the East, if you've done that, wow, good, kudos to you. Um, and so he goes through and he talks about how to still hunt deer. So I was very interested in the act of steel hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not something that is n- normal to me. I wasn't raised that way. We were hanging in tree stands. I still do that a lot, uh, which is great in an ambush position. But um, I'm very fascinated with the idea of with a bow, still hunting and sneaking up on deer. And I know that tons of guys have been successful doing that part of it, the sneaking. Uh, I've, I've never snuck up on a deer, but this was part of that learning process why I got this book. And uh, it is very very interesting. He talks about how to find uh, good land in general, fruitful with lots of uh, with lots of game on it, uh, and how to find that game and how to set up on it. And it's so so interesting to like be able to read a perspective on something like this because for us, it's, it's as simple as downloading the downloading the Onyx app. Like, shout out to Onyx, but um, but downloading the Onyx app. Two times. That's two. I'm just begging you guys. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's like as simple as downloading an app and being able to like look at the terrain now. So for for us to be able to get this kind of perspective, there's something to be gained from that, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had old old surveyors maps and they had topographical maps that they could look through. And that was as close as they were going to get without you. Basically, if you wanted to scout land, you had to look boots on the ground. You had to be there and and walk it out. And uh, there's obviously boots on the ground is you can't replace that right now. Right. Uh, But it is a huge help to be able to narrow down where you're going to go with limited time. We all have to be able to go to Onyx or uh, any kind of satellite imaging and pull that down and look at it and figure out where you're going to go. And that's that's elite as the next level. Awesome. So the still hunter, um, there's just there's all kinds of cool stuff. And then uh, again, um, and I'll cover this here in a minute, but this is in the uh, pre-1920s, the pre-bow hunting being popular. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff is geared around the rifle. Um, And so in the Still Hunter, like there's like the last three chapters or something that go into everything you would ever need to know about an 1880s rifle. Right on. So if you have one of those, uh, this book is probably good for that, but it's all about uh, loads and, and different grains and all. Yeah, all sorts about, of holds and it's just talk crazy. about the difference, right? Like we last episode, we talk about Ishii, who was out there killing it, yeah, literally and figuratively with uh, we know heart string made bows. Yeah, you know, he was just making his strings out of guts and just banding just this guy. It was like something incredible. Go listen to episode one if you haven't. Um, but this is a complete contrast to that, right? Like we can learn about uh, hunting with rifles from the eighteen. 18- from 1880, is that what yeah, you said? Yeah. Holy moly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they were they were doing it and they had things figured out. And um, you know, there's there's just a lot to lot to know, lot to learn. Uh, even if you don't hunt with a old rifle, uh, it's just good to see how things were done in the yeah. past. How 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 far things have come. Really, like the the barrier of entry is so low now. Yeah. You know, you can just 
go to the store, pick up a, a you know a rifle off the rack that is gonna you know not cost you an arm and a leg, and still shoot you know sub MOA if you're good at it, if you practice. Oh yeah, for sure. So, these guys were out there doing it, you know, by heart. Yeah, yeah. So, um, creme de la creme. Okay. This is the cream of the crop right here. This is the best book that you can get for free about hunting. And I'm convinced if you have a different opinion, you're, you're wrong. wrong. You're wrong. This is this is the greatest book, yeah, and it is uh, Hunting with the Bow and Arrow by Saxton T. Pope, published in 1923. Now, this was, uh, which you just mentioned, uh, the cold open for episode one, talking about Ishii. Uh, this book is incredible, absolutely incredible. So the, the long and short of it is Ishii was uh, the last Yana Indian and he comes out of the wild in 1911 and uh, against all odds, uh, because his, his horrible, bloody history with the white man, um, he befriends Saxon T. Pope and then begins to show him everything that he's ever known about hunting, all of the Indian ways from his tribe's people that has been passed down generation to generation, how to make bows, how to make uh, arrows, how to you know, flint nap, uh, broadheads small broadheads from Flint and Obsidian, uh, how to do all of these things, and then the techniques on how to use it all. Don't give it away. Well, I know, but there's, there is literally so, so much in this book. Uh, there, it's, you can, you, I cannot give it away. Tell them about a, a cool technique that you learned from, from this book. A cool technique I learned from yeah, this you book. You were getting ready to try it the other day. I, we saw we saw this doe come across from an empty field. Oh, uh, that's that's actually not from this book. That's a not. that's a Warren Womack uh, okay, trick. Okay. I was I was um, shout out Warren Womack. It's called um, drop a leaf, kill a deer. That's the technique. Drop a leaf, and and we will have more, more more on that to come. So the rest of this book, uh, it gets into the history of Ishii. Then it talks about all of the techniques for building bows. He, he meticulously like whittled bows out of trees, how to find the right tree, the right type of wood, uh, which there's a huge like traditional archery boyer community out there that uh, if you've not read this book, excellent, excellent. And all the techniques, they might not necessarily apply, but to see how things were done. And then Saxon T. Pope and Arthur Young, from the fame of Pope and Young, mm-hmm. um, they they tried these things. They made their own bows, and then they went out and hunted, and they learned all this stuff from Ishii. And so uh, a lot of this is Saxon's uh, opinions on hunting. There's a lot of philosophy around hunting that he gets into that um, he he was an opinionated dude. And I don't necessarily agree with all of his thoughts. Um, one of them that he agrees with in the book is, uh, this is the quote, does ain't deer. <laughs> I, I firmly disagree. <laughs> we are against that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Do, those are definitely deer and you should absolutely pack your freezer full of them every year. Um, yeah. But then he gets into a lot of stories on hunting small game, deer, mountain lions, bear. Uh, he's one of the, the biggest uh, bear hunting with a bow, uh, pioneers, him and Arthur Young, mm. uh, they go into uh, Yellowstone and begin like the first hunting campaigns in Yellowstone. To be able to do that again? Yeah, they, they kill, and he tells the story of uh, the monarch of the mountains. The monarch of the mountains? It's the king the king bear. The king bear. The, yeah, I, I or as they say in Arkansas, bar. 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 King bar. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. Yeah. They, to try to tell you that they're from Texas, but they're not. Wow. From Texas, uh, they're from Arkansas. 
Yep. Arkansas. Arkansas. Shout why out. is it Arkansas and not Arkansas? Why, America? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he gets he gets into it. Um, and then it's just extremely poetic. The whole the whole book is just a fun read. Um, he's you can absolutely tell he's deeply passionate about hunting, where he was not a hunter before, but Ishii converted him. He didn't have a history of that. He just picks mm-hmm. it up. Uh, he was Ishii's doctor, <laughs> and he's like they struck up a friendship, and they're like, "Hey, you want to go?" Which hunting? incredible again. Like I can't say this enough. Go back and listen to episode number one because that the end of that story is just gut wrenching yeah. and beautiful. And, I shed a tear when poetic. I read it the first time. I was I, moved. I, it moved me. Like yeah. I was listening to it, you reading it, and then the discussion after. I'm just thinking like, wow, epic. Epic. Truly epic. And so I wanted to read an excerpt uh, from that book. It's very short, but um, it's Saxton's uh, synopsis of bow hunting. Mm -hmm. So here it goes. Here we have a weapon of beauty and romance. He who shoots with a bow puts his life energy into it. The force behind the flying shaft must be placed there by the archer. At the moment of the greatest strain, he must draw every sinew to the utmost His hand must be steady, his nerves under absolute control, his eye keen and clear. In the hunt, he pits his well-trained skill against the instinctive cunning of his quarry. By the most adroit cleverness, he must approach within striking distance, and when he speeds his low, whispering shaft and strikes his game, he has won by the strength of arm and nerve. It is a noble sport. Wow, look at that. I mean, he's, he summed it up pretty good. I know, that, that was really awesome. I, I, I dare chat GPT to try to match that. No chance. No chance, That GPT. That is all human intellect, and he possessed and quite a bit of that it. That was good. That was yeah. good. That was good. Awesome. Very good. All right, so those are the three books, uh, and where, where can people find them? They can go to our website, huntkillcook.com, go to the show notes for it. This is episode two. Season one, episode two, uh, and they will be there, um, and we'll put a link in the description uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify or whatever. Awesome. So uh, do you want to do uh, funky stories with Uncle Maykel now, or do you you want to? uh, Are you going to start calling yourself Uncle Maykel? Uncle Maykel. Oh, you heard it. Yes, let's go. Uncle Maykel. I want to hear it. Um, Okay, here we go. This is is a great, great story, and again, at the end, we're going to ask you if you think this is a... Uh, you know, is it's a fact or is it cap like the kids say these days? I prefer crap. Let's just add the R in there. Cap. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. This is a story uh, that I'm titling it. Uh, I, I couldn't really find a title for it, but I'm calling it a few friends who needed time away. So uh, from the time that he was young, Ryan was an avid outdoorsman. I mean, you had to be growing up in Flag in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, how could you not be? You know, your your the Grand Canyon's right there, Tonto National Forest is right there, Sedona's right there. So, you know, it just seems uh, that, that from camping to back uh, country hiking, it seems that for Ryan, the natural course of actions would be that he would become a hunter. Uh, so, you know, he began hunting from when he was really young with his with his dad, with his dad's friends. Which at some point, I hope that. Uh, you know, my, my friend, my good friend Andre here would share the story of the time he tried to be one of the guys. I, I, I would love for him to share that. But I digress. Uh, so, um, 
you know, he, he started hunting with his father, with his father's friends, and then he started making his own friends and going hunting with them. And before you knew it, there were five of them. It was Ryan and four other friends. Uh, now, I'm not going to go through all their names, but there was one particular friend that you should know. His name is John. Now, John was the most skeptical of them all. He was always questioning things. He was kind of the killjoy in a sense, but he was still a good friend to have around. So, uh, they all went hunting together, and they, uh, and they, they grew up hunting. And, and over time, as you know, life has its way. They they started moving to different places in the country. They continued continue keeping in touch, but it wasn't the same. They were not hunting together every year during season. Um, and for uh, Ryan's thirtieth thirtieth birthday, he decided that he wanted to get the band back together and go for an epic hunt uh, near the uh, Navajo reservation. So I can see that you can tell where this is going. Um, so they reconnect for an epic weekend, uh, hunting near the Navajo reservation, uh, meeting up at the forest and going for a hike before they can, uh, make it to the spot where they were going to be camping and calling that place their home for the long weekend and, um, and, and, and go for an epic, epic hunt. So. They make their way in, and as they're hiking and hiking and hiking and making the way further and further away from where they are, from where they're pa- they park, park their Jeep. Um, oh, yeah. Shout out to Jeep drivers. <laughs> um, so they start hiking and hiking and getting further and further away, deeper into the wilderness. And uh, and before you knew it, they they were they were so far in that they could not see the road. You know, the, you know, you you know how you get to to a point where like you can get to a higher spot and you can somewhat see the road and see where you came from. You have an understanding where the trail is. Uh, no, at this point, these guys are bushwhacking. They are getting through how they're getting through. They want to be super remote and then just relive the glory days. All right. So uh, as they're making their way through, they run into this cave that was filled with bones and drawings on the wall depicting what appeared to be Native American rituals. They were mesmerized by this. Uh, they saw the bones and they thought, oh, these are animal bones. This is probably a bear cave. We should probably get out of here. Uh, but they, on the way out, that's when they noticed, they noticed all the drawings on the wall. So they were, you know, entertained, mesmerized by the idea, I guess, of, of trying to figure out what these things meant. Um, so they stayed there for a long while before they started to feel really, really cold which could mean one or two things you know they're in the desert so it could mean that the sun is falling down and they need to get out or something funky is going on now it was not late is is not too late is is not dark enough for it to be cold they needed to get out so they make their way out of the cave uh and as they get out of there as fast as they could as fast as they could they realize that they see a fox waiting for them outside the cave they think nothing of it and take off running, trying to find ba- find their way back to the trail. They're really spooked by this somehow. Like something happened to them that they were so spooked at the cave that they thought that they had to get out of there immediately. John, who was the voice of reason, was a nervous mess. So they start making their way back to the trail. I see you smiling. I, I want to hear your thoughts. No, no. Okay. So... They start making their way back, um, but every time uh, they they stop to kind of gather themselves, they they count they count the group, they check on each other, they ask John what's going on. John can't shake it off; like he needs to like get back. He just doesn't want to do this anymore. And as there's every time they stop, they look around and they see the same fox 
this fox is chasing them. They can't get away from the thing. Um, so they not only are struggling to find their way back, but now they have a fox, a strange fox that will not leave them alone. Finally, they get too tired. This, the, the, darks, the night starts to fall and they decide that they need to make camp. They are lost in the vast uh, Arizona wilderness near the Navajo reservation. There's a fox chasing them and they need to camp for the night. It's not a good day for Ryan and friends. No. Um, they sit camp for the night. They uh, get in their, into their tents, and in the middle of the night, um, John begins to have an intense night terror. He starts shaking uncontrollably. He starts screaming. He says, he's seen me, he's seen me. He can't shake it off. Finally, they all um, gather around him. They pull him out, uh, sit around the fire, and they spend the night drinking coffee, waiting for daylight. And daylight could not come any sooner for these guys. As soon as they, uh, as soon as uh, the, the the sun came up, they started making their way back to the trail, but still they couldn't find it. But this time, the fox wasn't there, which was of great relief to them. But however, they started noticing a hawk. A hawk was following them. It was flying over. It was stepping. It was stopping in front of them every time they slowed down. There was a hawk perched on a branch of a tree, and on in the middle of 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 the the path they just couldn't get away from this thing finally they make it to a clearing and when they made it to that clearing john absolutely loses his mind over this hawk it's like he put two and two together and the thing that he couldn't get away from in his dreams the night before and his nightmares was the hawk that was chasing them the day after as he starts screaming they start hearing a voice and that voice is calling out to them it's like, hey, 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 what's going on? What's going on? And then they look up from helping John and they see a park ranger or a Navajo ranger. So they explain to the Navajo ranger what happened, that they've gotten lost, that they that they found a cave. The Navajo ranger clearly knows something that he's not telling them. And he says, well, get in the truck. I'm going to take you back to your Jeep. Do you know where you park? And they had a vague idea of where they left their Jeep, what which trailhead. Turns out the entire time that they were lost, lost, they were not but like 10 minutes from their Jeep. They've been running in circles the entire time. The Navajo Ranger takes them down to the trailhead where their Jeep is parked. They get all get off the truck. And what did they see? Perched on the rear view mirror of their Jeep a hawk to this day they can't really talk about it they, they feel like they none of them can escape the the watchful hawk even when they were back home the the thoughts of the cave the drawings of the caves john screams um the running the navajo ranger all those things they couldn't shake the story off and it seems like it made it so they wouldn't be able to hunt again several years years went back 10 10 years to be exact and uh they got together uh and during this get-together, they get to meet um, one of John's new friends, a Navajo uh, native, who shares the story of the Navajo skinwalker. They were never the same after that. Mm. So, factor cap. I'm going fact. It is a fact. I'm going fact. This is a true story. 
It is a true story. You can you can find the story uh, on Reddit, which I know it's not like the most unique way to find story or the most sincere or, yeah. or you know, uh, trying to test like the Wikipedia of, of you know, stories. It's, yeah. it's Reddit. But uh, this has been posted and cross-posted and several um, back channels for the for the reservations. And like this is a story that's been repeated time and time and time again. Yeah. It seems to be the same kind of situation every time. Yeah. So remind me to not go hunting near the Navajo reservation. Absolutely. Ever. No. no. My I got I got the chills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no skinwalkers for yeah. me. No skinwalkers for me. All right. So we've decided this is a fact, fellas. Fact. Certified. Yep. Certified. Certified fact. All right. Now, uh, let me shake that off a little bit because now it just yeah. kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, so now let's talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, let's go. So, uh, you know, before we got, we, we, you started reading, uh, we, we got into the show, I asked you to give me a little bit of a synopsis on this. I think it will be beneficial for our audience now that, you know, we are on the back end of the show to, to, to hear again a little bit of a recap of what this story was about. Sure. So the story in the cold open, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and his cowboy friend, they're at his, uh, his ranch, and uh, they're going to go hunting around Christmas uh, because they don't have any meat for that Christmas dinner. And so he goes off with the cowboy, and they get the ponies and the bitter cold, and they go out at 3 a.m., and uh, they, they have a, a spot where they're going to do some, I don't know if they're doing glassing or if they're just looking with their bare eyes or whatever, but a high spot where they're going to look over a large coulee, which if you don't know what a coulee is, I didn't either. I had to research it. And the best way I can explain it is imagine the ravine where Mufasa dies, okay, but a lot, lot wider, okay? And there's... Uh, Why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> He's going to shed a tear. Yeah, Mufasa dies. And... Um, so it's this wide, wide ravine with steep canyon walls, and then there's like forest and uh, tall grass, and uh, maybe even a river basin in the bottom of this um, of this ravine. And so that's a coulee, and so they're going to go up on the high spot and look down into the coulee, and they see a couple deer as sunlight comes up, and uh, they can't really tell what they are, so they decide to get closer. So they come down off the hill, wrap themselves um, around to where they can start coming up slowly and the deer had fed the whole time towards them. And so they meet at the crest of a ridge and, uh, one is a spike buck. Teddy Roosevelt gets drops down on one knee, boom, drops the buck. Um, and it well not drops it, but he kills it. And it, and it goes off and dies in the weeds. Um, and then another buck comes out, uh, the big one that he was wanting and, uh, it runs off. He takes two shots that while it's running about a hundred yards away, misses them both to his shame. Um, that's why you don't shoot at running deer. And, um, he had terrible eyesight too. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's not a wise choice. I mean, great, great president and all, but like, come on, just, you gotta know your, (laughs) know your your strengths. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And so he, um, you know, he's kind of bummed. And so they go find the spike buck, they hang it, dress it, uh, hunt the rest of the day. You don't see anything. And at the last light, they are going to sit down for one last hurrah for that day uh, before they pack out with the ponies and they see that giant buck again. And it gets up, turns around and sits back down. And that restlessness is what ends, what leads to its own demise. And so the cowboy stays put, keeps an eye on the buck while Teddy Roosevelt does a stalk. He sneaks up to it on the high part of the other opposite side of the ridge. And then uh, at 70 yards, he shoots the buck. He actually knocks two stones together, which I thought was an interesting detail that he put in to get the deer to stand up. 
and it stands up and uh, he gets it and they pack out two ponies uh, and in the moonlight they head back for their Christmas dinner at the cabin which I thought was pretty cool a lot to be said about this story yeah. uh, namely mainly that uh, at the beginning we hear that Teddy Roosevelt shoots this this smaller buck right yeah. and then the big buck comes about and to all of you trophy heads if a, if a small bug was good enough for Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, come on. Come I mean, on, come on. He guy. said he needed... Plus, they were there for food. They were hunting for their Christmas dinner. Yeah, they needed the meat. And he was like, well, okay, that'll that'll do. That's, That's right. And so I, I love that philosophy. Although, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was very notorious. Or I don't know, not notorious, probably the wrong word. But, um, you know, he was very known for being a trophy hunter. Yeah, that was he, yeah 100%. He would stick. travel to Africa to yeah. just, like, kill you know, exotic animals. Yeah, maybe just, one yeah. of the greatest trophy hunters, if that's what you're into. Yeah. A spike buck was cool f- with him. Yeah. It's cool with me. Yeah, it's cool with me too, man. So uh, do you know where he was, where the story took t- uh, it, place? It's not specific. It doesn't say a state. Uh, somewhere somewhere out west. Uh, I even... So there's another book, uh, Hunting Trips of Arrangement in the Wilderness of a Hunter. Uh, and the Wilderness Hunter is, uh, is another book by Teddy Roosevelt, which I think is an interesting con is an interesting thing to talk about is that how did Teddy Roosevelt end up there to begin with? Do you have any idea? No, I, I don't. So backstory here. Let's go. So Teddy Roosevelt was, uh, was married and, um, and he married the love of his life. You know, he, he was, he was a happy man. In fact, when he met this woman for the first time, he met her at this like school party and he told his buddy uh, at this party, Hey, you see that girl over there. I'm going to marry that girl. And he did. He bold. married her. Bold, bold statement. Uh, it didn't come easy. He didn't marry until much later, yeah. much later in life. They went through uh, through a lot of uh, you know ups and downs, and they finally got together. And um, and she she died, and yeah. she died, and it completely broke his heart. It, it devastated him that he died, that she died, and uh, and he um, left his daughter with his sister, and he moved to Montana. Um, Mm. Just to kind of you know lick his wounds and just try to be uh, you know try try to heal from from this traumatic experience and that's where he learned ranching. Oh, uh, he okay. he wanted to be he wanted to be a, a tough guy you know like and you see it all through through his you know personal story like all the crazy stuff that he did but he was always like out there chasing wild things chasing the uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and it, this this all came the catalyst was the death of his wife of course but when he was in montana <laughs> there's a story of the the cowboys teasing him because you know he here he was this like chubby new yorker that um you know had glasses and uh, spoke funny and he uh he shouted at one of the cowboys um as they were trying to do a cattle drive quickly hasten forward there and quickly hastened forward there, and uh, and the Cowboys had a heyday with it. They probably it. thought he was a dandy. They, they thought that he was a dandy, and uh, and Teddy wouldn't have it. He no. he got off the horse and uh, dragged the cowboy down and beat the living snot out of him. No way. Uh, so that's that was the day that Teddy earned his uh, his his pride with yeah. the Cowboys. He he earned his name with the Cowboys. And when he came back from from out west, back to New York, back to politics. He he was a stick of a man. He was lean and mean, and yeah. he'd done his hunting. He'd done his his um, his healing, and uh, so there's something to be said about going to the wilderness. To uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of benefit of being out alone yeah. in the wilderness, and uh, learning to be a man, learning who you are. Yeah, 
I was uh, I was speaking with my wife earlier today. Um, she she was out with a friend, and um, oh, more on this later. But uh, I I went out to uh, to the property where we home this afternoon, this evening. Okay. Um, and um, she uh, she was having dinner with this friend, and she told her what I was doing. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Michael is out there. Uh, he he took the boys. I took Benji and Lucas with me. I made them nice. a little shelter and sat them down. I said, you have to stay put. They did great. Oh, they did not dude, move. That's so cool. Um, and um, and uh, she she told she told uh, Tammy, my wife, that sounds horrible and super boring. And my response to that was like, hey, there's there's two kinds of people in this life: people that can go to the wilderness and sit and be perfectly happy in God's nature, and people that need to be staring at a screen to be satisfied. Yeah, it's refreshing to be out there. Absolutely, it's important. It's uh, soothes the soul. Yeah. So tell me, uh, what was your takeaway from, from Teddy's story? My takeaway from Teddy's story was uh, doing what it takes, doing what it takes to get it done. Mm-hmm. 3 a.m., he's up, getting the ponies saddled up, yeah. headed out. And it turned out to be actually too early, but, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't complain. He didn't talk, you know, he said at one point his, he was numb from the ride, from the cold, um, and there was just... There's a lot of adversity in that, and uh, but they move forward. Him and his uh, and his cowboy friend. That's another kind of cool mm-hmm. takeaway. Is the cowboy just like laid back yeah. and let him go off? And uh, Teddy shot both deer, and the cowboy was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll sit here. I'll watch." Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what takeaway that is, but it just kind of struck me as I as I read the story. But uh, yeah, and uh, they didn't. They went till from sun up to sundown. And instead of being set, I would have been satisfied with the spike, yeah. honestly. Oh, hey, I missed that giant buck. Okay, well, let's pack him out and get out of here. But they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll leave him there. It's cold enough. Let's go get another one. Well, it was like the last push too, right? Like it's not like, hey, we're going to come back tomorrow and try to chase that buck. It was like, hey, yeah. we're going to go out one more time tonight and uh, no, whatever may come. And here comes this buck. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen if you stay just a little later? That's right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, you try know, something I, new. Get out there. I tried to sneak up on that doe. Yeah. She busted me, though. <laughs> you know what? You were going to walk out anyway. Yeah, that's she right. She was in the middle of the field. That's right. So I was on my way out. Yeah. I mean, stranger things have happened. Stranger At things. At least he wasn't a skinwalker. <laughs> that you know of. That's right. That I know of. <laughs> All right, guys. So that was it for episode two. We hope that you enjoy the show. Uh, it certainly has been fun for us making this, uh, yeah. like reading the stories and having the banter and just reconnecting uh, in, in a new way, aside from making you know the usual content that we make for you guys. Uh, this has been great. So again, if you haven't listened to episode one, you should go do that. Um, and uh, yeah, we're so thankful that you are here with us and being part of this community. Uh, don't forget to check out the websites to get those books. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Um, And for now, May Kill and Andre out. We're out.